Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. Ho, ho, ho. In today's show, we finish out our bonbons and bars theme with some homemade apple cider caramels. We'll also review our gingerbread bars from last week and talk about some of our favorite holiday brunch items. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Merry Christmas, Stefan. Merry Christmas, Andrea. And Merry Christmas, everyone who's out there listening. The show is dropping on December 25th. It just happens to be a Monday. Hopefully you are all settled in with your families and enjoying your holiday morning. Um, and uh, you can add a little preheated banter to the joy of the day if you have the time. But we'll understand if you want to delay listening by a day or two. Yeah, and you know, there is always that kind of very lullishness that happens in the, the days after after the holiday, I find. So good good way to, to catch up on all your favorite podcasts. So but <laughs> that's yes. true. Um, Stefan, a couple of weeks ago, back in episode fifty-five, we spoke a little bit about um, unitaskers or tools in the kitchen that maybe only have one use. And we yeah. mentioned our, you know, our cupcake cores and those type of things. Right. And then last week in episode 56, you mentioned a cookie jar. Mm-hmm. And I have an update from my latest visit to the downtown Seattle Goodwill. Cookie on jar update. Both of those issues. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yes. Wow. Both a unitasker update and a cookie jar update. So starting with the unitaskers, okay. I thought to myself I had a couple of hours to kill as I was in that goodwill and I thought to myself you know one of the things that I think would be really fun is to really closely look at all of the kitchen and housewares aisles Mm -hmm. and notice what unitaskers are most popular my thought Uh. being that if you're given a gift or you buy something and you don't use it then it eventually ends up at goodwill so yes um, this was actually a fun little project for me And I picked three things. So number three, third most popular item would be the turkey roasting rack. Oh. Um, There were at least 50 of these. So I'm thinking a lot of people probably buy these once a year for Thanksgiving, perhaps for Christmas. They roast their turkey. And then if they say to themselves, I'm never doing that again, or, you know, maybe I need a bigger one, then, you know, it ends up at Goodwill. It also takes up a lot of real estate. It's very big. It does. We use ours every year. So I would never give mine away. But okay. All right. So me either. Um, Number two are the wooden knife blocks. So, you know, when you buy a set of knives, they oftentimes come in yeah. that knife knife block. Again, there must have been at least 30 or 40 of these. Now, my thought on this is 
uh, twofold. It might not be that people aren't using these. It could be that they have found a different way to store their knives that resulted. So they're, it's not that they're getting rid of the knives and the knife blocks. But for example, I have a metallic rack up on mm-hmm. the wall of my kitchen, and that's mm-hmm. where I store my knives. So okay. had I bought my knives in a knife block, then I would just have this useless knife block. So that would make sense to get rid of it. Okay, well, so far you're describing my kitchen because I have the turkey roaster and the wooden knife block. So <laughs> what's okay, number well, one? <laughs> if you have the number one item, I am just going to die laughing. I feel like I'm playing I, Family Feud. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, oh, oh, good point. Do you have a guess? Do you have a Do guess? I have a if guess. you guess this, I would be amazed. What about like a Brita water filter? <gasps> good guess. But okay. No. Okay. All right. Um. If you had asked me to guess, I would have guessed a Keurig coffee machine mm, because mm. you cannot go into a um, low-end budget motel, a dentist office, or a pet store these days without seeing a Keurig. And yep. I was shocked to see that there actually were no Keurigs at this Goodwill. There were a couple of the fancier type machines. I think they're called like the Verissimos from Starbucks. But I did not see a single Keurig. So that was fascinating. What I did see in the number one position are hooks designed to hang bananas from that you would then allow to ripen, I think. I have seen those. There were so many of them. (laughs) My bananas seem to have ripened well for, you know, 30 years just (laughs) in the bowls or on the counter. I have seen those. Yeah. They have the metal ones. There were tons of those. There were also ones that had more of an elaborate wood stand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, you know, some carving. In fact, at first when I was looking at them, I was like, what are these hooks? You yeah. know, why are these hook things on, on the houseware aisles? This should belong in the, like, closet area or something. Yep. But a couple of them still had the tags on them, you know. And, and these were things that were donated. Goodwill sometimes also will carry items where they'll actually purchase new items and sell yeah, those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But these were definitely donated. Many of them were used and, you know, scratched up and beaten up. So people are using them. But apparently that is some valuable real estate counter space, and you do not need a banana hook I guess not okay well no. what so. not to hopefully nobody received a banana hook I know <laughs> <laughs> because we know what will be appearing at Goodwill in about three months time but um okay well thank you for that hard-hitting investigative reporting <laughs> from the field okay but right. here is my big exciting find and I know you're going to appreciate this okay you know my husband and I collect 50s vintage kitchenware so yes. one of the lines we collect is called Bauer it's spelled mm-hmm. B-A-U-E-R and it's a California pottery company now Bauer actually did come out with some new dishes in um, the 2000s in fact I think it's called Bauer 2000 but we like to get the old stuff from the 50s okay I found a cookie jar oh andrea yes it's a bauer cookie jar it's from the 50s it's pink with a little rooster on it i will um post a picture of it on our facebook group and it's so funny because i saw it and i took a picture of it and i sent it to my husband and I said, you know, should I get this or not? And he was like, why wouldn't you get it? You know, it's so cute. It's the kind of stuff we collect. And I said, but it's missing a lid. And, you know, in my mind, a cookie jar needs a lid or else the cookies are going to dry out. Okay. And he said, well, let's just use it to hold utensils, like next to the 
oh, stove. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a disconnect in my head. I just couldn't, I couldn't really wrap my head around it. So I went and I stood in line. I was getting some other items. And then I thought to myself, you know, there's very few times in life where I have regretted buying something at Goodwill. But what has happened many times is I have gotten home, gone back to get the item I wish I had gotten, and it's gone. And yeah, I thought, yeah. you know mm-hmm. what? This is one of those times. Uh, spring for the cookie jar. And so yeah. I did. I went ahead and I got it. It was a little pricier. You know, it was about $14. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's not your your normal Goodwill prices. But it, it definitely was a find. I got it home. Uh, my husband immediately took all of our uh, you know, uh, spatulas and big spoons and that sort of thing and put it in there. It's right next to our stove. I see it every day and I love it so much. I'm so happy with it. And is that more, is that something in this line of pottery that would be more rare? Like, was this pretty exciting to come across this, yes. this piece? Yeah, Absolutely. I would think so. Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to see it. And you know what? I mean, I think you could probably go online or like eBay or something and maybe someone out there has the lid. Or just like, you know, well, I think it's, it's possible you could find it. Okay, you're you're bringing up a big issue in our marriage, which oh, is... No. <laughs> oh, no. So you, you think like my husband, which is, we'll just get it, and then we'll be on the lookout for the lid. Okay. And he can compartmentalize his life such that that's not something that bothers him. Mm-hmm. That's something that bothers me. Like, I am only happy knowing that I don't need a lid. If a lid were to appear, that's fine. Oh. But I am not on the search for the lid. I'm not on the hunt for the lid. Because if I am, I can't relax. I am constantly looking yeah. for that dang lid. No, and I think <laughs> what you've done is made – you have something that you can use and utilize as it is now. So I I kind of, I guess I'm kind of in the middle between okay. between you and your husband that, that okay. I'm happy with it now. But however, since I love to thrift and I love to go to, you know, antique stores, if I were there, I would probably just be – you know, looking casually, and then sure. lo and behold, if it if it if I found it, you know, fantastic. So well, when oh, I hilarious. post the picture, if any of our listeners also like to prowl the antique stores and they happen to find a lid That's for me, right. I'd be happy to buy hey, one. From in the you. spirit of Christmas Day, can you? <laughs> That's right. Be on the lookout. So, oh, I'm so glad you've joined the cookie jar. Yes. The cookie so, jar club. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of cookies, um, I wanted to make sure that we talk about our gingerbread cookie bars from the Laughing Spatula website. I know. I mean, what can I say? I've made these three times. They are wow. delicious. Yes. <laughs> so, Andrea, back in episode six last December, we did a Christmas cookie swap, and uh, you made my favorite uh, Christmas cookie, which was a is a peanut butter thumbprint cookie with a Hershey's kiss in the middle, and I made yes. yours, which was a soft ginger molasses cookie. And I'm a huge fan of those cookies. People in my family are a huge fan of those cookies, and these were dynamite this is a giant ginger molasses cookie in a 9 by 13 pan as far as I'm concerned they came together very very quickly you have butter brown and white sugar vanilla molasses and egg soda flour and a bunch of a bunch of spices of course that you would expect to see here cinnamon ginger cloves and nutmeg and then there's a cream cheese frosting a very simple cream cheese frosting Uh, They came together really quickly. They only bake for about 15 to 20 minutes, so they have that kind of nice, little bit underbaked, soft, soft, chewy texture. Um, 
I'm still having issues with my with my cream cheese here. As listeners know, cream cheese in the oh, UK is just that's right. a little bit mm. softer. So I halved the cream cheese recipe. I added more more butter, more sugar. I, I had to play around with that. But okay. um, frosted it. That was great. And um, I've, yeah, I've made these three times. My husband said they are the Christmas cookie of 2017. And, oh my gosh, what a yeah, great review. I mean, if, if I had to right now say what is the the number one uh, uh, recipe of second season, these are the top contender right now, gingerbread cookie bars. So, oh my uh, yeah. gosh. <laughs> An early entry, right? An early entry. Gate. I know. Oh, man. Well, I have only made them once. Um, I loved how easy this recipe is. I mean, that's why we picked cookie bars. We know yep. a lot of people don't have a lot of extra time this time of year. Um, I did have a couple of questions. So number okay. one, on the molasses, mm-hmm. do you use a particular brand? Do you think there's a difference between light and dark? What are your molasses thoughts? Well, my molasses thoughts have changed since moving here because – molasses is just a little bit different but in the states I always used the brand that had the grandma on the front <laughs> okay. like the little cameo picture I know and what you're I, talking about mm-hmm. in brown sugar and molasses I prefer the dark and okay. I think it's called even blackstrap molasses okay. I actually feel like molasses is a natural source of iron which is this kind of strange oh. thing about it I don't know how that happens or why that happens but it is so I think the darker it gets kind of the more iron it has too so I always feel like it's very healthy addition to my recipes <laughs> yeah here it, uh, molasses is called treacle and my brand is the same people who do Lyle's golden syrup is Lyle's makes a, a dark treacle so it's a uh, oh. you know consistency taste wise just exactly the same I like it very robust molassesy flavor so yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, I have always used the wholesome brand of molasses. I don't know why. I guess that's just what's at my grocery store. And I had run out and I went to the store and they didn't have it. So I bought a different brand and I can't remember it off the top of my head. Um, I think it might have had a rabbit on it. Now oh, the rabbit. It. Yeah. Uh-huh. The one with the rabbit. Not the, the rabbit. grandma, yep. but the I rabbit. Know that one. <laughs> um, but it was funny because the Wholesome brand comes in a plastic container with a fairly wide mouth. This Rabbit brand came in a glass container with a, a fairly skinny, like a almost like a soda pop, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, type mm-hmm. mouth. Or uh, And, you know, it said on the thing, easy pour bottle. And I thought to myself, oh, that's cool, you know, because I was thinking, well, my Wholesome brand was pretty easy to pour. This is going to be even easier. Eh, not true. It took me, it felt like 10 minutes to pour a third a cup of molasses out of this bottle. Yeah. And um, it was so much darker and so much richer than the wholesome kind. So I do feel like that affected a little bit my um, thoughts on the gingerbread cookie bars. I, I did love them and I do love the flavor of gingerbread, but I realized that I think maybe I like a lighter versus mm-hmm. a darker. So okay. when I'm going to make them a second time and I the second time I'm going to use a different type of molasses and see if that sort of um, affects my taste. The other thing that I ran into that I wanted to ask you about was um, 
how long you baked them. So it says bake at 350 degrees for 15 to 20 minutes and let cool. I pulled mine at 15 minutes and again, it's so dark. Uh, I couldn't judge, you know, based on yeah. looking at it, whether it was done or not. So I just decided it was done. And then when I cooled them and cut into them, um, they were denser and stickier than I expected from a cookie bar. So I, okay. was yours fluffy? Was it more cake-like or was it more dense and chewy? Mine was almost brownie-like. Yes, exactly. And that's how I tested for doneness here too. Uh, the, you know, the toothpick, when I make brownies, I like my toothpick to have kind of those fudgy crumbs still attached. And yeah. that's what, what happened here. I So, I mean, my oven is a little different, so I can tell you, but it's going to be – I'm not sure how accurate my uh-huh. m- my um, right the temperature and my center. time will be for yeah, you. Celsius. But, right. So, yeah. yeah, I used a 175-degree uh, fan oven Celsius, and I cooked it for about 17 minutes. So it's right in the middle of this range that she gives okay. of 15 to 20. I think they would definitely looked underbaked. I think they had a gooiness to them still. They sunk a lot while they baked. Okay, and then, mine yes. did too. And yes. so I wasn't, I was they, just worried that mm-hmm. I had done something wrong or that I had used, you know, a molasses that was like too strong or something. Nope, nope. I mean, that's probably just on the, on the molasses. That just sounds like a taste preference. So yeah, okay. I would do some experimenting there. But then one of the things that, that my family and I really did like about this was that it did have that very fudgy brownie-ish consistency and uh, they were very, a very dense, like a, like a soft ginger molasses cookie. Yeah. So, and uh, yeah, Kathy, who provided the recipe for us, you know, she said serves 12 to 24. And I went with the 24. I cut <laughs> them into small, small bites. I thought these were okay. pretty rich. I also loved in her recipe, she said, um, when she was listing the ingredients for the cream cheese frosting, then she wrote, or you can cheat and buy a can. Yeah. <laughs> and I would also just say, I would also just say, because um, my, the cream cheese is just such a, pain here so uh, I think I might try a batch with just a little bit of powdered sugar sprinkled over the top too oh okay Um, I think that would work yep although my family dearly loves the cream cheese frosting so Mm -hmm, they would mm -hmm. they would not be super happy with me but um but yeah they were chewy and dense um my only issue is I think they're a little bit boring to look at so I was I was trying to contemplate it from the um if you were at like a holiday dessert buffet and you saw these, would you choose that bar? Would you know what they were? We kind of had this issue with, um, was it our sugar cookie it bars? It was the sugar cookie bars. I had yes. people who didn't realize that those were sugar cookies. Right. I think they thought it was little slices of cake. Yep, yep. And so mm-hmm. that would just be mm-hmm. my one. I'm trying to think, you know, could you cut them in fun, fun shapes? Could you uh, put... I don't know, sprinkles on top. You know, there's lots of ways I think you could zhuzh it up because the taste was absolutely dynamite and out of this world. So um, did you garnish the top with the nutmeg? You bet I did. Yes, yes. Yeah, just yeah. my grated okay. nutmeg. So yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that made it pretty. Yeah, I I was thinking in terms of serving, um, and I did give these to some people who just raved about them. So that always feels good. Yeah. Um, with the cream cheese frosting, though, I didn't have success stacking them because yes. that frosting was so soft. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I did need to kind of lay them out on a plate. And I see what you mean. It's almost like 
you know, once you've cut them and you have them laid out on a plate, there it was, yeah, you maybe need to throw some holly or something on the plate just to kind of add a little bit of color. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I realized the other thing I did is that I bumped up the ginger. I went with a teaspoon of ginger. And that's oh. just, I, that's what I just really, um, I have a gingerbread recipe and then my my kind of go-to molasses cookie recipe and my pumpkin pie recipe for that matter, um, I just, I love that flavor I just went a little bit bolder on the on the ginger flavor too so you might play around with your spices too if you know while you're playing around with your molasses but yeah why um, not yeah these were these were a huge big win and I will be making them um forevermore I would say forever oh yeah so yeah (laughs) I'm I am really looking forward to making them again and I also can highly recommend them and I think they are easy they're quick and um, they're going to be different than I think what other people are going to bring if you're bringing them to an event where desserts are going to be shared so that's always fun to have something that's a little bit different yeah and so that recipe was from the laughing spatula laughing spatula.com and thank you to Kathy for sharing that with us and our our listeners too so well we are going to switch for our last episode of the bonbons and bars month back to our bonbons and We've been alternating between bar cookies and homemade candy this month. We had a bar cookie here with our gingerbread bars and are back to a candy, apple cider caramels from Smitten Kitchen. That's one of, uh, Andrea, one of your very favorite recipe resources. And we had such a great success with the other candy we tackled this month, which was our uh, English toffee from introduced in episode 55 and then reviewed in episode um, 56. So I'm feeling strong going in. I have never made a hard kind of caramel candy before, and uh, I love apple cider. I think there's just going to be a lot to be excited about. So, um, Andrea, have you made homemade caramels before? I've not, and I'm terrified. No. Um, <laughs> for, with good reason, though, because when I picked these, I, I saw this recipe from Smitten Kitchen, and about the same time, I saw an apple cider caramel recipe on the King Arthur Flower website. So okay. I would say, listeners, if you want to bake along with us, feel free to use either one of those recipes, and you could also let us know about your own. Um, I started getting scared when I read it because it involved a candy thermometer, and Mm -hmm. um, that's always, you know, requires some precision, and I know it's going to be a little bit trickier. But what really got me terrified was uh, Deb Perlman posted this recipe on her Facebook page, and people immediately started weighing in. So they were absolutely raving about the flavor. They said they make them every year. They said once you give them to people, every year people will insist, like, where are those apple cider caramels? I want them again. But multiple (laughs) people said, hardest thing I've ever done. Oh, all right. I know. Well, so we have a month's worth of solid success behind us. That's right. (laughs) Feeling strong. Um, and so we aren't going to be reviewing this recipe, listeners, because this is our last uh, episode of the month. So please do weigh in on our Facebook uh, page, the Preheated Podcast Facebook community, and let us know. Um, or if, you know, if there's other candies that you that you make and at holiday time or others, we would love to hear about that too. So um, that is the apple cider caramel from Smitten Kitchen, and we'll have a link to that recipe on our website, which is preheatedpodcast.com, and our Pinterest and Facebook pages too can't wait well we are going to shift gears and talk about holiday brunches when you brought this up 
as a possible segment, Andrea, I just thought that is such a wise topic for this time of year because lots of family get-togethers, lots of friend get-togethers, and I think brunch is a really smart way to entertain. It kind of hits that sweet spot between uh, the not the formality of maybe like a big sit-down dinner, but, you know, fancier than just like grabbing pizza for lunch, something like that. So we have a couple that we make uh, when we are asked to bring uh, some kind of a brunch or we just want to do ahead of time. And I guess that's my key thing about about a breakfast casserole is I love it when I can make it ahead of time. So Me too. I do a baked French toast casserole that uses that cinnamon raisin bread, which at the minute I said it, you may not know of because you avoid you avoid the dreaded raisin. But um, <laughs> it's actually just a – I think Pepperidge Farm makes it. I think Sun made yep. a bunch of people. You can buy it, and it's almost it's it's almost not right to call it a casserole. It's it's you know like bread pudding um, for, mm. for breakfast, but mm. love that one. And you can make it the night before and stick it in the fridge overnight, and then just bake it off in the morning, which is success to me. Um, another one that I just recently saw was from Real Simple uh, magazine. I think it was the November issue, and it was called the Potato Tot Breakfast Casserole, which made me think that tater tot must be a a trademarked word otherwise why would they oh. call it tater tot right <laughs> so anyway potato tot I've never heard them called that but you know what I'm talking about a tater tot um and it's kind of your classic like the the potato tot and sausage and cheese with an egg uh that you pour over yeah. and it reminded me of this casserole that was so making the rounds in the 90s and Andrea I, there's lots of things to remember about the 90s but do you remember that the 90s <laughs> Do you remember that the 90s were like the height of like the fat-free food craze? Yes, yes. And I, do. I was working I was working in an office at the University of Missouri and we had like a holiday potluck and one of the women brought in and she was so excited because she said this is a fat-free breakfast casserole. So she had made it with it's it's the same basic concept here. So she had like a a potato base and then she had used fat-free cheese which yes was a thing. And fat-free sausage, which was a thing, what? and then that egg beater or whatever it is, it's like egg, it's right. like egg substitute, and mm-hmm. and and there it was. And so I remember like everyone was so excited because like it was this fat-free breakfast casserole, and uh. I still remember it was like rubber. It was like eating. Uh. It was like eating rubber, and <laughs> but we all like were so thrilled that you know it was this you could eat as much recipe. as you wanted. <laughs> So I'm happy to see that trend is in the rearview mirror and you can still make, I mean, that's a great breakfast casserole using just kind of, you know, real, quote unquote, real food, real ingredients. Yes. So, um, and then the last one I wanted to talk at and give a, um, give a shout out to our listener and the uh, uh, owner and, and uh, composer of our theme music, Anne-Marie Russell. She makes this really brilliant thing at brunches that I love, and it's kind of like a large-scale omelet. So she makes up like a dozen eggs with, I think, some cream or half-and-half spices, any herbs, and she puts it on a jelly roll pan. And so it's very thin. She bakes it, and I'll see, Anne-Marie, if you're listening and you could post that recipe, that would be great on our Facebook page. I'm not sure how long she bakes it, but then it becomes – like a huge jelly roll pan size omelet she pulls it out I think at that point she puts like cheese ham whatever other fillings you would want and then rolls it up kind of like a letter like a big letter and then slices it and it's you know omelets are a really hard thing to do for a crowd 
under oh, like yeah. when everyone wants to eat at the same time and I think that is a brilliant solution plus it's it's just really delicious so yeah oh yeah Anne-Marie please yes. I would love to see that recipe yeah um, so how about you Andrea well, I wanted to talk about brunch because I feel like there's a lot of brunch hating going on lately, and what? I want to staunchly brunch defend hating. brunch. There is. There is brunch hating. Um, well, Anthony Bourdain, I think, is famous for his brunch rants. And then- Doesn't um, he hate everything? Well, you know, yeah. there seems to, seems to <laughs> be right. some anger he's, issues. He's singled out brunch. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And- um, the guys who do the dinner dinner party download uh, mm-hmm. podcast mm-hmm. Okay. radio show, um, Brendan Francis Noonan, I think is one of their names. He just recently wrote a book about hating brunch, and I heard him being interviewed on it. So I, I actually went and listened to that interview because I thought, like, what's to hate about brunch? Now, what it turns out, what he hates, and I think Anthony Bourdain, where, where they're both coming from is restaurant brunch hating because they, they're they talking about how restaurants basically are using leftovers and charging jacked up prices, and people are falling for it, and they're waiting in line for two hours to eat brunch. So I am not oh. talking about re- restaurant brunches. I am talking about make-ahead, easy meals on busy days when you have a house full of people and you can pull out a warm dish or, a you know, a cold dish and it's ready to go and everyone loves it. That's what I mean by brunch. Absolutely. Um, I had no idea there was a whole oh, segment yeah. of the population that was brunch hating. Okay. Well, yeah, they've clearly yeah. never been to one of your brunches or mine or Anne Reese. <laughs> so <laughs> that's right. Yes. Um yes. You know, as soon as you told me about Anne-Marie's do-ahead omelets, I would love for listener Lori to post her 13-second omelets. I heard about this over Thanksgiving. Her friends were raving about a party that she hosted where you got to her house. I think the eggs were all pre scrambled and she had pre-cut up all of the various fillings, the ham, the cheese, the green onions, etc. And then... I don't know if maybe she used Ziploc bags or mason jars. I didn't really get the specifics on that. But you somehow, you picked your own fillings, you mixed them in with the eggs, and then you put them in boiling water for 13 seconds. I I, I don't know. Lori, I need help. I need more details on this. Wow. It sounded really fun to me. It did sound like a bit of work for the hostess in terms Mm -hmm. of all the pre-chopping and stuff. But it can be done ahead. So I just thought that sounded super cool. My standards for make-ahead are stratas, which are basically a savory bread pudding. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you have the layers of bread and eggs and cheese and milk or heavy cream. I love to make them the night before so they're just soaking all night and all that bread is soaking up all the goodness. And then you pop them in the oven and they, you know, come out after 45 minutes to an hour and they're just so fabulous. Um, if you want something a little bit on the lighter side for a brunch, one thing that I think is really fun to set up, and again, um, a little bit of work from the host side of things, but most of it can be done ahead, and that is a fruit yogurt parfait type bar. And one place where I thought they did this so beautifully was the hotel that I stayed in um, back in October when I was in Paris. They had this layout. So they had multiple kinds of yogurt that you could select f- from, um, multiple types of granola that you could select from, and then just this beautiful assortment of cut-up fruits, 
um, an array of various seeds and nuts. Mm. And it was mm. just so pretty. All these little bowls of, you know, cranberries or, you know, dried cranberries and sunflower seeds and, of course, raisins, um, <laughs> you know, brown sugar, um, cut up mangoes, raspberries, blueberries. I mean, just it was so beautiful. And it really, you know, made you want to put together kind of a a light and healthy type thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I've been doing lately for brunch uh, that has a a nice make-ahead component to it is uh, hash browns, which doesn't sound like rocket science, but I I just had never really made them. I only made them recently when I was trying to create a – dish I had at a Swiss restaurant in Portland called Swiss Hibiscus and um, I had a side dish it was called I think Rosti like R-O-S-T-I yes Rostis are huge here okay I wasn't Mm -hmm. sure if I was pronouncing that correctly because there's Mm -hmm. you know umlauts involved and stuff but um Uh, But basically, when I went to make it, I was like, oh, this is hash browns. And um, Mm -hmm. the day that I made it, I was making it for some friends coming over for dinner. And so I had boiled uh, all the potatoes in advance. And then when the friends got there, I just grated the potatoes and made the rosti. And I had some leftover potatoes. So I just kept those in my fridge. And what I've been doing every morning, I'll wake up. I take the cooked potato out of my fridge. I grate it on my grater. You know, it takes maybe two minutes top. And then you just throw it into the cast iron skillet. And, you know, the big trick for me is not flipping it until five minutes has passed. That's really important because it will completely fall apart if you flip it too early. Because I like to make mine as like patties um, as opposed Mm -hmm. to just loose. You know, if you wanted to just make it loose, it'd probably be even easier. Um, But, yeah, five minutes on each side in a hot cast iron skillet. Oh, my gosh. So good. So easy. I pop them into the warming oven, um, so you know the the my daughter is getting one when she first wakes up. I eat one later when I get back to the house. I mean, they're so good. Yum! Yeah, that's a big thing here, and they'll do a lot of like you're doing sweet potato or regular potato, but they'll do like other root vegetables. So they'll have I know you love beets, so beets, parsnips, oh. rutabaga, and then they'll mix and match carrot. So uh, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, you, you know how I love my root vegetables. I know you do. I have to look, have to look into that. Oh, well, listeners, if you've got any brunch tips, especially those that are on the make-ahead side, we'd love to hear about your favorite brunch items. Absolutely. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get to the dishes. Next week, we're rolling into the new year and kicking off 2018 by celebrating National Baking Month. Prepare for a delicious month filled with pie, cake, cookies, and so much more. Remember, you can find us and our featured recipes on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, on Facebook and Pinterest, and you can also download us on Google and Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you subscribe to the show and gave us a five-star review, both of which will help other people find us. Until next time, thanks for listening and sweet dreams.
Preheated is written, performed, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.